You're listening to a podcast from Oasis Church Bath. To find out more about us, visit our website at www.oasisbath.org. Uh, a new series, uh, Being Human, and uh, Joe put it extremely well. I'm going to try and... Well, before that, my name's Mark. I'm part of uh, the leadership at the church. We've rearranged a bit. I'm in the church steering group. I've, I've been part in some way or another for most of the last 10 years in leadership here at Oasis Bath. Uh, I work for a unicorn. I'll explain that a bit more later. Um, it's, it's not like Go Jetters, if you've got kids who watch that. Um, <laughs> that would be a very niche joke uh, in, in Go Jetters, uh, the cartoon where the, the person that the, uh, the heroes work for is a unicorn. Anything to, uh, to, uh, to capitalize on the fad of everyone loving unicorns. So our new theme, uh, Joe wrote these words, and I don't know if it's... Yeah, I think it came out in the weekly email this week. Can you see those? Is that too small? Okay, sorry about that. It's, uh, it's in the weekly email. I'll read it to you anyway. Very often as Christians, we're subtly led to believe that being human is bad that our flesh, in inverted commas, is weak, and we need to become less human and more divine. This can lead to a disconnect between our physical, emotional, and spiritual selves. We want to look at this topic and explore lots of different aspects of what it means to be human, from self-awareness and handling our emotions, to gender, calling, and even death. How can we fully flourish as human beings and make the best of the lives we live in the bodies we have? How can we move on from old issues and hurts and become the best version of ourselves? So I think that's a, that's a great introduction. And um, my job today is to introduce the topic, and I can't really do better than that. So I'm, I'm going to be looking at something which is a bit of an, an oversight of uh, God's attitude to humanity, what it means to be human in a, in a, in a very broad sense. And um, in our series, we're going to be talking about, some of them were mentioned already, but the, the titles that we've got, we've got Handling Emotions, We've got self-awareness, emotional maturity, loneliness, counselling and psychotherapy, self-care and self-comfort, physical health, rhythms and rests, death, vocation and purpose, and school and work. So that's our, our, uh, the next three months ahead, and we think there's quite a lot more material that, that is to come. There's loads of things that we haven't handled in those titles that would be really good to talk about. So you've heard the song, I'm only human after all, I'm only human after all, don't put the blame on me. And it's a really good intro song, so thanks Julia for suggesting it. And it says something about our limitations and uh, the, the singer is saying, don't expect too much of me, I'm not going to be able to fix all your problems, I'm just human. It's saying that, that our flesh is, is weak. But I, what I want to particularly focus on this morning is our worth and how we can fully flourish as human beings, physically, emotionally, spiritually. So let's just go to the church website. Oh, that's whenever I go to the church website, that's what happens because I'm an administrator on there and I have, to, I have to log in to be able to do anything. And what it asks me is, am I human? And I have to tick a box that says I'm not a robot. And sometimes I have to look into a grid and, and say where the, where, <laughs> where the traffic lights are or, or whatever it is. <laughs> and it's, it's an interesting thing. I mean, I, I don't think I've ever read that and thought, well, yeah, am I? Uh, but 
the ways that it's trying to, to assess whether we're human or not is quite interesting. And I think there's quite a few unhealthy ways in which a rigid, fixed religious belief structure can make us behave in ways that aren't human. So when I'm looking at the question, are you human, I sometimes look back at things that I've said and done and think, wow, what, what was that about? Is that human? Because uh, human and humane are very similar words. And sometimes we do things which are pretty shocking in retrospect. I'm reading a book by Chris Kratzer at the moment. It's called Leatherbound Terrorism. It's pretty hard-hitting stuff. A, a, a former, well, he's, he's still involved in church ministry in some way, but a former church minister who recognized more and more things that were seriously wrong with the, the kind of um, job that he was doing, the things that he was saying, and the way that people interacted with each other within the evangelical church. And he talks about a story of a woman who came to him who had been raped and had an abortion as a result. And she came to him, and it's, you know, it's hard enough for her to have come to him in the first place, but what was she looking for? For absolution, perhaps that's an old word. Looking for comfort. And the only answers that he could come up with were from his training and the, the culture of the kind of church that he was in, which was to say to her that she needed to repent and to ask for forgiveness. And now you might think, well, about abortion, perhaps it's a big deal. But even for the assault that she suffered, that there must have been something that she'd done about that which was wrong. And so people go away extremely sad and broken with an interaction with the church. I listened to a podcast this week in which Steve Chalk was on, and uh, a woman came to him when he was about 25 and a youth pastor, but she felt that he was someone that she could talk to, and she told him of decades of abuse in her marriage, of bullying, of physical abuse, emotional abuse. And the question that she had for Steve was, I'm praying for a particular thing, and I just want to know that it's okay to pray for this. She said that she was praying that her husband would have an affair because that's the only reason the church would sanction her to get a divorce. The church leadership all knew of this, of this abuse ongoing, but the only reason that they would sanction a divorce was unfaithfulness. And me, I used to be a fundamentalist. When I was at uni, um, someone came to me and it's intoxicating when someone has respect for you. And she came to me and said that one of her friends who wasn't a Christian had died in the last year. And is, is it right that, you know, can, can she still find her way to heaven? Is, is there a way that this is, this is still true? Or is, or is it right that it's too late and that she's gone to hell? And I said, I'm really sorry, but yeah, that is right. I felt bad after that. But I comforted myself that I was right. And I've changed a lot of my opinions since. So the way that we teach people in the church has a big impact. The way that we teach young people, because you know, I was a product at age 19 of my upbringing in the church, of the things that I'd been taught, whether they were explicitly taught to me or I'd just absorbed them. The way we teach young people about growing up about having fun or not, about our bodies, about sex, can and does have a devastating effect on how, as adults, they interact with the world. 
I know plenty of people who from their upbringing would absolutely never dance. Now, you might not dance either, but I don't know if that's because <laughs> you feel it's completely inappropriate or because you'd rather not. There are people who see bodily functions as just horribly dirty. People who are constantly feeling inferior and worthless. Never pursuing their goals. Always learning to make do with what they've got. The potential for human flourishing can be nipped in the bud. And with sex in particular, and I won't go into this too much this time, but I hope that we will pick it up in a future session. With sex in particular, big surveys have shown the unhealthy effects of telling young people that any allowing and expressing of sexuality as they grow up is wrong. And then suddenly at marriage, it completely flips around and it's all wonderful and you know, everything is going to be fantastic and just get on with it. And then that doesn't work. The survey is absolutely fascinating. It is a human thing to grow up, to mature, to become more independent, to work out how to interact with the world. And in so many churches, like through my church upbringing, people are produced, and maybe this is true of you as well as me, who remain in a permanent state of a child, needing constant affirmation and attention, constantly in need of rescue, having a simple understanding of things and living in a bubble. We're left unable to do anything ourselves. We need a a spiritual leader or God himself to to do it for us. We ask God to do this thing for us, but we don't feel that we can do anything about it. Maybe to some extent you recognize aspects of this that still apply to you, that still apply to me. And a lot of churches probably unintentionally foster this. It uh, leads to unhealthy authority of church leadership over the members and it stops people standing on their own two feet. It's a situation in which all sorts of abuse can take place. Um, Spiritual abuse is something which a lot of commentators on the evangelical church in America are saying um, the spiritual abuse that goes on in so many churches over there has gone mainstream now. It's like the government is operating like one of those authoritarian church leaderships. So I want to go to a, a quote from Rob Bell. What we do comes out of who we believe we are. It's quite a generic quote. A lot of people might have said it, but Rob Bell has said this, and I think it's an important thing to hang a lot of things on. So for many of us, we believe we're inherently bad, and our focus is on our sin and our weakness and our failure. I'm only human after all. I find it interesting that in the Reformation, Martin Luther saw it was wrong that he should have to keep going back to a priest and confess his sin. And he achieved something which was to say that he could go direct to God. But regrettably, today isn't so different. We go, to, we go direct to God in a miserable cycle of repentance and tears, followed by falling over again. So there isn't a huge difference from going to a priest to do that or to going to God himself. It becomes a rhythm to us, a second nature, but I'm not sure of what good it does. Joe quoted, well, it's kind of a semi-C.S. Lewis quote. Um, I think it was in the film The Voyage of the Dawn Treader, but um, Joe quoted a a thing where a character says that we must defeat the darkness within us before 
defeating the darkness out there. And it's a, it's a good quote, but it depends how you see it. I would say it's not so much the sin within us as the wrong belief of our own darkness that we have to confront and defeat. We'll never fully defeat the wrong things in our lives. But if we're waiting to achieve that before tackling the darkness out in the world, I'd say we would never get started. So this is the a kind of image which illustrates my own experience of a regular cycle of repentance and feeling worthless and, and God restoring me, this is in my mind, and then going through it all over again and over and over and over. So I hope to provide an antidote to that. It doesn't carry on like this. <laughs> and I'm going to get you to talk to each other because thinking about what humanity is worth. Let's think about some other things. What is it worth? A business? A painting? A house? Perhaps you can discuss it with the people around you. What is it that determines how much something is worth? And I'm talking about money. And uh, maybe I'll get some answers from you in a minute. I'll play some music and just have a couple of minutes to discuss that. Okay, there's been some interesting discussion going on. Anyone have any answers for me on any of the examples or just generally, why, why is something worth a certain amount of money? It's about demand, yeah. It's about the value someone places on it, so it's all about what that, yeah, the amount that someone is prepared to pay. The potential for it, apart from the painting, yeah. Well, yeah, even then, sometimes people think it might be worth even more. Yeah, yes, okay. So some things are, uh, don't have the value yet, but they can see a potential value in the future. Anything else? Location, location, location. <laughs> Fashion, yeah. Unicorns are very valuable at the moment, but uh, they'll, they'll disappear again. So I think the, the, the answer that, that I, I think maybe trumps all of them is just that it's worth whatever anyone's willing to pay for it. It might be all sorts of reasons that someone decides that they're going to pay that amount for it. But in the case of a, a business, I said I worked for a unicorn. I work for a unicorn because that's the name given to a billion pound business. Uh, I, work, I work for Ovo Energy. I'm not advertising. <laughs> but I've just joined and... Uh, some time ago, in the last year or two, uh, another company paid £200 million for 20% of the business. Therefore, instantly, the value of the business is £1 billion. <laughs> and it's fairly meaningless, but that's the, that's the value. That's how it's worked out. This, uh, this painting by, I think it's George O'Keefe. Julia will know that. Uh, suddenly, uh, her paintings were very valuable. And for some reason, people decided they were willing to pay millions of pounds for those when that hadn't been the case in years gone by. And it might be that she had died. I don't know. <laughs> that seems to be, make a big difference. When an artist dies, suddenly the value rockets. 
<laughs> yeah. We can definitely see potential value in Julia's paintings, yeah. <laughs> and, and a house is even more baffling because there are tiny, tiny flats in London that will go for a million pounds. And then much bigger houses, let's say up north, which will go for a fraction of the price. And it's all about what people are willing to pay. And of course, what I'm talking about is who we believe we are. What we do comes out of who we believe we are. God was willing to pay everything for us. Simultaneously, churches quote that you were bought at a price from one of Paul's letters, and also somehow that we're worthless. That it's the, the worth that we have is only through a lens of Jesus in a, in a strange transaction that means that instead of God seeing us as for what we are, a pile of rubbish and rags, that through Jesus, God sees us as something valuable. But I would say to you quite strongly, that is not so. That God sees the value in us as exactly as we are. To say that our humanity, our bodies, our minds and spirits are dirty or bad is a terrible thing to my mind. I'm glad that Stephen read from Genesis God poured himself into all creation and said, it is good, it is very good. Of humanity in particular, he said, it is very good. And when Jesus came in a, a second incarnation, if you like, the first being God pouring himself into all things, God was fully present in one human being. I've been looking into a bit the fact that Jesus called himself the Son of Man all the time. That was his chosen phrase to describe himself above and beyond all others. It's something like 80, 90 times in the, in the Gospels that he uses that expression of himself. And it, it simply means a human being. He's saying, the human being does this. The human being says that. And I'm going to do something I don't often do and quote John Piper in saying that this humble human had an intimate and positive relationship to the human race, illustrated by this, his use of these words, an intimate and positive relationship to the human race. So some say that there's, there's links in what he's saying, a kind of code word linking back to Daniel 7, a vision of one like a human being, like a son of man, who conquers all. But to me, that's all the more reason to notice the glory presence in humanity. Jesus treated all people as having worth. The fact that God became a human being shows that he loves humanity just as it is, even if we're closed off and selfish and scared. And he longs to take away those burdens and release us. Another thing I've been thinking about over the last couple of weeks is when Jesus is healing people and, and uh, the Pharisees and others around are pretty astonished at that and, and saying, how can, how can he do this? And uh, he says to them, well, which is, which is easier, to, to heal somebody or to say your sins are forgiven? And so he, he says, your sins are forgiven to, to these people and they go on their way healed and forgiven. But I wonder what changed with the words, your sins are forgiven. Had Jesus forgiven that person who was previously 
ill or blind and not the other people around him. The person who came to him for healing didn't confess their sins and didn't ask for forgiveness. They just wanted to be made whole again. So what changed? I wonder if Jesus was saying something that was already true, that God forgives even when there's no confession or repentance. Human beings are mysterious. One thing I've learned recently, I don't know if you know this, did you know you can buy verrucas off children? <laughs> Sorry, I, d- I haven't got an image of a veruca for you, so don't worry. Um, my sister-in-law is a podiatrist and she's seen this happen. If you say to a child who's got a veruca, I'll give, you, I'll give you a pound and then I'll have that veruca instead, the veruca goes away. That's a very strange thing, but it's true. And it, it tells me something about the, something strange about humanity and something strange, and perhaps we'll, we'll go onto this in terms of health in the future, that sometimes something can change because of, well, what do we call it? Something in our minds, or can we call it faith? Or can we call it belief? It's not something I'm going to attempt to understand, to understand or explain, but it happens. I'm going to read from Acts chapter 10. This is a passage that I've, I've used before. This is about when uh, Peter, one of the apostles, is, uh, is sent to Cornelius. Um, and he's going to someone that he might well fear a little, he, um, being a, a Roman citizen, a centurion. Uh, it might be that he doesn't know what he's supposed to do in this situation. And he has a vision in a trance in which a blanket comes down from heaven. A lot of you will be familiar with this story, but I'll, I'll go through it. In which there's all kinds of, of animals, food to eat on the blanket, which have been expressly forbidden under Jewish law. And in verse 13, a voice told him, get up, Peter, kill and eat. Surely not, Lord, Peter replied. I have never eaten anything impure or unclean. The voice spoke to him a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times, and immediately the sheet was taken back to heaven. And so that's a pretty disturbing vision for for Peter, and it's not about food. Because then he goes to the house of someone who is outside of what he thought was pure and clean. And this is just one Part of that section, verse 27 of Acts 10. While talking with him, Peter went inside and found a large gathering of people. He said to them, You are well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate with or visit a Gentile. But God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without raising any objection. There's a huge change here. He's been shown a vision of food, and God says, anything that I've called pure or clean, how dare you call it impure or unclean? And Peter says, in verse 28, God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. Not just the specific people in front of him, anyone. Humans, from every nation, from every background, 
Do not call unclean what God has called clean. Now, a bit like Joe had a, a mountain image, and I think she saw the image, and therefore it triggered off some, some thoughts in her. In my case, I had an image in my head of an elephant on a seesaw. And then I tried to find an image, and this is the best I can do. <laughs> so we, they look like they're having fun, for those listening to the podcast. There's a cartoon elephant on one end of a seesaw and a little white mouse on the other end. And the reason that I was looking for this image is because I've got the title there, Balance, Good and Bad. I think there is a huge weight of argument on the side of humans being bad. It's what you hear about all the time. It's, a, it's like the fundamental thing. We've got to start from the point where there's something seriously wrong with humanity. That's our entry point. And in fact, in evangelism, often that you start with telling somebody in front of you that they're, they're sinners, that there's something seriously wrong with them. And so there's a mouse on the other end of the seesaw. No end of little counterbalances to that elephant is going to do very much good to make us have a balanced view of things. I, I think that calling humanity bad is a terrible thing. I've said that already. But you're not going to shift that elephant without some serious weight on the other end. So that's where Chris Kratzer comes in again. What do you think of these words? This is a big counterbalance. And it's not the first time I've used them in the church. He says the gospel in six words is, there is nothing wrong with you. There is nothing wrong with you. It's very easy to start saying what's wrong with us immediately in response to that. But what freeing words those are. The world needs us. It needs me. It needs you. Not keeping our head down, beautifully repenting of the same things every week. We are children of glory. Humanity has incredible potential. I've quoted this many times before from attributed to Irenaeus. The glory of God is man fully alive. The glory of God is humans fully alive. I'm going to play another song by Rag and Bone Man now. Because <laughs> uh, I think this is, this is a great one to balance out the one before. So I love that song, uh, even more than human, actually. <laughs> What's that got to do with what I'm saying? Well, I think we, we don't just need to acknowledge that we can be too introspective, that we've been taught to think that our bodies are bad, that we've been taught to think that we're inherently sinful and there's, there's no way of changing that. I think we need to, to stand up and be counted. And the thing that I, I love about that song is, is someone throwing off things that easily entangle and, and declaring that I'm strong enough for both of us. We need people to do that. We can't all do that. But that we need to have people standing up and saying that, yes, I can support the weight of another. I can do things beyond myself. And this is a really important section of the Bible for me. Uh, I first uh, read it and made a connection in, 
in conjunction with climate change, this is a year in which we've got to do things dramatically differently. And it's, uh, it's difficult to see how that's going to happen with the world leadership that we have. But we have hope. I'll just read Romans 8, 18 to 21. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subject to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. What incredible words several times about, about us, about humanity, the children of God. The creation waits in eager expectation for the glory, for the children of God to be revealed. Liberated from decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. And so this year, and as we go through this series, I hope that people will be liberated themselves. I hope that people will be able to cast off certain habits, some of which are religious, in order to, to stand up and be free. That's all I have to say to you this morning. I'm going to pray, and then uh, Joan is going to come and lead a couple of songs. Shall we pray together? When I was a child, I talked like a child. I reasoned like a child. As we become adult children of God, let's put the ways of childhood behind us. May we embrace our human nature, seeing the best of it in Jesus and following him with all of our bodies, minds, emotions and spirits. And may hope and life flow from us into the culture we live in. May this earth know salvation. Amen. You're listening to a podcast from Oasis Church Bath. To find out more about us, visit our website at www.oasisbath.org.